us, is this the lunch loop? If so, um, we wish to cancel. Um, we do not wish to belong to that or to pay this anymore. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Lundloop Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection of markets, trading, and life. And in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about unconscious bias and how that can really, really affect us negatively in our trading and our investing. But first, it's the end of the summer. We're almost done. The Lundloop kids are so bummed out because they go back to school starting next Tuesday. And it just seems like the Summer went by in a flash. We blinked, and now it's time to go back to school. And I always tell my kids this. It annoys them so much, but I don't care. I tell them this. Whenever I pick them up on the last day before spring break or before Christmas break or before the summer break, I always stop and I say, look, you have to take a moment, take a breath, and be present knowing that this is the longest amount of time before you have to go back to school, before you have to come back from Christmas break or spring break or summer break. Not going to be any longer than it is now. So acknowledge this moment and how fucking awesome it feels. I don't say the F word to them, but it's part of that concept of being present while something is happening. And if you're present while it's happening, you can't really slow time down. You try in some situations. You you want to slow time down when it's a great day and you're spending it with friends and family. You don't want to slow time down when you're in the dentist chair like I was earlier this week. But you want to at least be not you want to be mindful that time is moving. And doing that somewhat anchors you to it and it does help you slow it down a little bit. At the end of the day it still feels like trying to hold sand. But I tell my kids, you know, mark this moment because it's going to go away. And um, when I was a single guy, I never wanted to get married. I certainly never wanted to have kids. And I would tell everybody this. Anybody that would listen to me, I would tell this. And even when it was painfully obvious that I was having kids no matter what, I still was in a little bit of denial. A famous story in the Lundloop household is that my wife told me, honey, my water broke when we were having our first child. And I said, are you sure? <laughs> my wife never lets me forget that. Another famous story, she doesn't really know this one because she was uh, busy getting an epidural, is that while she was in the hospital bed waiting for the doctor to come, starting to go into labor, I was trying to get a signal with my palm trio in the room so I could try to trade Apple. I didn't really need to trade Apple, but it was just all part of my denial process that I wasn't really going to be having kids. I wasn't really going to be a father. That's how badly I did not want to have kids. But as bad as I wanted to stay single the rest of my life, there was some survival instinct, some preserv preservational instinct there that said, look, You've got to be present with your kids at every moment. You have to remember to be present. You have to, you have to be able to mark and feel the passage of time because it's going to go by in the blink of an eye. And I did a number of things 
towards that. Before we had kids, I sold a business that I had for 20 years. It was a successful business, but I was so burned out on it. And I was working six days a week, 14 to 16 hours a day. And I just, I knew that I would either be an absentee father or a fucking asshole of a father. And I did not want to be either one of those. So I sold that business to trade full time. So I figured I could be at home. I could be a stay at home dad. And for almost the whole time that my kids have been alive, I have been home for them. I've been that, that stay at home dad and I love it. And it's, at times there's been this conflict, you know, as a, as a, as a father who, who cares about my kids and their well-being, and also as a, as a human being whose own father died when I was 20, part of me wanted them to grow up so that they could get to a point where I could say, okay, God forbid something happens to me, they'll be okay. Like my worst fear in my life, I wrote about this ad nauseum over the past decade and a half, was what would happen if I died when they were still little? I mean, it, that was a terrifying thought. And so part of me is like, I can't wait till they're 18, 20, you know, whatever age it is that in my mind, I thought they could survive on their own. But at the same time, I want to be present with every moment. Like I want it to last forever when they're two and we're at the beach or they're four and we're at the zoo or whatever. Like I want all those moments to last. So it's this weird dichotomy where part of your mind is trying to push time forward and the other part is time to trying to slow it down. And there's certain signposts, guideposts uh, that really make those moments clear. And one of them is the end of the school year when you, you mark another year in the calendar, you see all the stuff that they did over the course of the year, and you know that you'll never have that year and that age again. Another is the beginning of the next year. And that's when I sit down and I go through both of their schedules and I literally map out on a uh, on Google Calendar what days, you know, what time I drop them off at school, what day I pick them up. And anyone that's got kids out there knows that it's not like it was when we were in school. When I was in school, it was real simple. You got to school, your first class started at 7.30 and your last class was out at 2.30, depending on whether or not you had sports. That's it. Nowadays, my daughter has a planning schedule, a assembly schedule, a half day schedule, a traditional, there's like five different variations of the daily schedule and they rotate randomly. And some days she starts school at 8.15. Sometimes it's 9.15. Sometimes I pick her up at three. Like it's all over the place. In addition, this year, our governor and all of his wisdom uh, introduced a law that got passed by the state assembly that now high school kids can no longer start before 8.30 and junior high kids can no longer start before eight because he doesn't think the kids were getting enough sleep. So whatever. Point is, is like both their schedules are totally weird. So I, I have to map it out like some sort of algorithm to figure out, you know, when to pick them up, when to take them. Um, and then also I've got like, you know, I have to make lunches and, and it's just lots of stuff. I love it. Okay. I love it. You know, I, I'm at home. My wife, drives a long way to go to work. I take this responsibility gladly. 
I, I love doing it, but it's hectic and I have to map it out. But when I do it, I just, I can't help but have this little feeling of melancholy that it's another year. You know, it seems like I was just mapping out last year and it's over and now I'm mapping out another one. And it's getting particularly poignant because my son is, this is his last year of junior high. And even though he's 13, we still feel like he's the baby and he's going to high school next year. And his sister is going to be a junior. I can't fucking believe that. I cannot believe it. It seems like it was just yesterday that I was holding that little thing in my, my arms. And now she's, you know, she's a junior. She's almost a senior. She's going to be going to college. It's just, so it's a weird time right now. Uh, it's a weird time for the kids. It's a weird time for me. Uh, combine that with the fact that we have such bizarre weather out here in Southern California. I know I shouldn't complain because other parts of the country, uh, you know, you get crazy weather, but we're just this, this late summer oppressive heat where it's never so hot during the day, but it just doesn't cool down at night. So it just, it's unpleasant. Um, it's a weird time. It's just a weird time for me mentally. Um, but yeah, what can you do? All right, let's talk about unconscious bias. The way I see unconscious bias is there's different levels. There's that unconscious bias that you think you're aware of and that you think you can thwart. But then there's that unconscious bias that you're not even aware you have, like truly unconscious. For most of my life, I've prided myself on being immune to the wiles and the charms of marketers and of advertisers. I always thought it was a weird concept that somebody would be looking through a magazine, see an ad, and that would influence them to do anything. Same thing with a commercial on TV. Who would watch a commercial and let that impact their decision-making process or where they wanted to spend their money? Who are these peons? Who are these members of the proletariat that are so weak-minded that these simple ads can influence them to do stuff? What an arrogant a-hole I was. I figured out at some point, maybe in the early 90s, that, oh, I'm totally susceptible to not only advertising, but to information overload. I always prided myself as being knowledgeable, being up to speed on current affairs. When I was in high school, I took Model United Nations and I had a wide understanding of all the geopolitical issues in the world. And I was the type of guy that would get the newspaper and you just got to sit down and you got to read it and you got to be well informed. And I would listen to talk radio and I would watch the nightly news. And somewhere in the early 90s, I said to myself, oh, this is just total bullshit. I'm tying myself up in a knot about all these things. And I think this kind of coincided with when talk radio and even television to some extent started to get more combative. It, it transitioned from that Walter Cronkite, Edward R. Murrow, here's just the facts to more infotainment where they want to stir up controversy and you would get these you know, two opposing sides that were only there to fight. And I realized it was doing something to me that was just unpleasant. It's getting me angry, getting me upset. So a long, long time ago, I cut most of that crap out. But what I didn't realize 
is how much the financial information still influenced me. See, I thought that I could cut out all the news, you know, but still listen to market analysis, market information, because, hey, I'm a guy who uses technical analysis. Technical analysis is objective. It's not subjective. And so I can listen to that stuff and I still need to be well informed, you know. I need to know what's going on so I can talk about markets and I can sound so smart. But when it's time for me to put my money on the line, hey, I click over into the analytical mode. I use technical analysis, leave my bias and my emotions at home. This week I was on a spaces with my buddy Joe Fami and the wolf. I always forget what his handle is on Twitter, but he's a young guy who runs all these spaces during the week. They're doing really cool stuff with this with this format. And normally these spaces are after the close of the market, but this one happened to be on while the market was still open. And his spaces tend to skew much younger. I think probably the average age of someone on these spaces is in their early 20s. So they're they're most likely people that are new to the markets. They haven't really seen a lot. They haven't seen different types of markets or or cycles of markets. And frankly, they think they know it all. And that's totally cool because guess what? I thought I knew it all until last week. <laughs> I mean, I certainly thought I knew every, I was the smartest man in the world in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s. So I get it. I don't hold that against them. But what was really interesting is during the space, the market started to rally really hard. And either myself or Joe or someone was in the middle of a point and somebody else just interrupted and jumped in and said, the market's rallying. And all of a sudden, everybody started saying, what's the news? What's What, are, what happened? What's the news? Everyone's searching for news. And it really struck me at that moment, we all do this, right? We all do this. We do it in the Discord. We do it you know, in our own trading, we do it among friends. We do it on Twitter. The market moves, we immediately want to know what's happening, what's moving the market. Okay, that's normal, 100% normal. Don't fault myself or anybody for doing that. But what happens when we find out the news? I don't know about you, but for me, I immediately make a judgment on that news. So for example, this week, nuclear stocks popped. And I was trying to see what the news was. I wasn't actually looking for it, but somebody asked me, so I, I went out and found it. And it was that Japan had made a decision to refocus on nuclear energy post the Fukushima debacle because, well, we know why, because the price of oil, the price of coal, People are starting to figure out, hey, nuclear energy is, energy is clean, it's low cost, it's safer than it's ever been. So the story is Japan wants to refocus on nuclear energy. And so these nuclear stocks that I've got and I've been holding, they popped. Immediately, there was this need for me to analyze that information and weigh it. Is that valid? What do I think about that? Is that a sustainable story? Is that something that's, is, is the move in the market, uh, is that valid based upon the story? 
Is the move too much? Is it too little? And of course the answer is who knows? Like who knows? Like how am I gonna figure out whether this is the start of something or not? But that's my immediate go-to. And I think that's all of our immediate go-to. It's not just that we find out, we wanna find out what the news is, we want to then rate that news. We want to evaluate that news. And I think what happens is it, it, it's so, it happens so fast and it's so transitory that we're almost not conscious of it, but it leaves a residue. And the way I can explain it better is I remember I was talking to my therapist at one point a long time ago, and she was talking about unconscious bias. She was also talking about things that make you anxious that you're not aware of. Because I was sitting there talking to her and I said, I don't feel anxious. Nothing's really going on in my life right now. Um, but you're saying I'm an anxious person. It's not, it doesn't track. And she gave me this great analogy. She said, you can see things and your mind doesn't process them, at least your conscious mind, but your subconscious does. Like for example, if you're driving out one night and it's a dark night and you look out the window as you pass a real old, ugly, craggly tree. You might see it as it goes by and might not think anything of it, but it might trigger somewhere deep in your subconscious a memory of when you were a child and you were lost some night in the forest and it was scary and it provoked a lot of anxiety. And so that image that you didn't even really process in your frontal cortex may trigger something that affects your body. A better example, she said, is close your eyes and imagine that you are cutting a lemon. It's the biggest, juiciest lemon you've ever seen. Now imagine opening your mouth super wide and biting right into that lemon. Now, most people will get some sort of reaction. They'll, they'll think to themselves, oh, right? They'll, maybe their lips will pucker. Maybe they'll even salivate. There's no lemon there. It's not a real thing, but just the idea of the lemon makes them have a physical reaction. So I think what happens a lot of times is by making these judgments on news flow, we're not having physical reactions. It's not like it's creating anxiety, but it's creating biases that we're not even aware of. And that's why I think a lot of people that get into these doom and gloom cycles, uh, it can be about, you know, just about society in general. It could be about the economy. It could be about global warming, whatever. Even though in the day to day, they may not be thinking about those consciously, these subconscious ideas inform them and they inform the way they act or the way they don't act. When we're looking at trading and investing, the danger is that we're ingesting all of this stuff. We think we're immune to it. We think we're smarter than it. We think that we can just, you know, it can be like uh, water off a duck's back, but it's possible that it's leaving these residues. And then when we really need to act or when we need to do things in our best interests, maybe we're not doing it because of these subconscious bias. I think a lot of people, not in the Lund loop so much, but just in the market, they missed this last four to six week run because when we were at the lows in June, they had convinced themselves that we were going off a cliff. 
And so every little inch that the market moved back up, their conscious or subconscious bias said, I can't, I can't act on this because we're just going to roll over or it's not going to work out or I know we're going to go down because I've bought into this doom and gloom thing. So the only way I can think to combat this, and I'm sure there's probably some serious literature out there on, on how to do this, is to do the, the opposite, is to shine a light on these things. So when we read something or when we ingest something, at the same time, we cleanse ourselves up or we inoculate ourselves by saying, you know what, that's doom and gloom, or that is a biased viewpoint. It can be the other way too. It can be a, a very Pollyannish, like, oh, we're going to go to the moon, right? And then we believe in that and we act in that way. I think an even better step is to filter that stuff out. I've taken a serious step towards doing that on the weekends. Five o'clock on Friday, I try to stay off of all social media I try to cut off all um, you know, input from both financial media and regular media. I used to, I couldn't wait till the futures opened up on Sunday nights. Uh, now that we have crypto, I used to watch crypto as a proxy for what was gonna happen on Monday. But here's what happens. You watch it all weekend long, whether you wanna admit it or not, or whether you even know it or not, you come into Monday with a preconceived bias. So maybe we rally at the open and you think, no, 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 this, this won't hold because you've been so fixated on the negativity in the crypto market over the weekend. So I just think it's important to identify this. Not everybody has it. I'm sure there are people that are like 22-year-old, 24-year-old Brian Lund that are really immune to it. But it's very insidious. And it's something that I think a lot of us are affected by and don't even know it. So for me, it's try to cut the information down, look for less information, curate your information sources, cut out a lot of noise, be proactively skeptical and dismissive of a lot of stuff. It's almost like you have to be aggressively objective. And then, you know, just try to stick as much as you can to your technicals. Um, I would like to repeat that want to be canceled from the Lund loop, whatever you've got me on. Um, if you wish to call and explain what it is, uh, actually, uh, forget that. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got any questions, hit me up at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at thelundloop.com. I'll see you next time. Bye.